Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Venture 12 podcast. Season three has begun, and I am here joined by Ashley. Hi. Hi, Ashley. Good how to are you doing? Everybody. Yeah. I'm fine, thank you. And actually, yeah, your you? voice is your voice is very familiar, as we've just heard at the start of this podcast, uh, with the new introduction for the first time. Yeah, we've just recorded that um, three times to see if we can get it correct. Yeah, you nailed it. And uh, it's just, <laughs> you're welcome. And it's just one of, uh, we, we've got, we've freshened up some stuff in the podcast, haven't we? And we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, but uh, need to start by saying sorry to everyone that we are releasing this at the end of September. We tried to get it out uh, in the beginning of August, but there were delays and one of our other guests got sick and then we had some uh, trouble finding time to record and everything. So we're here now uh, and ready to it's kick really off good this. Excuses. Chris. <laughs> yeah, Great actually, um, when the podcast was just getting off the ground, you've just reminded me in season one, I think there was like a six or seven month break between like episodes three and four. Uh, and I think it was me and Mark recording and we had no excuse. We tried making an excuse during the introduction and then was just like, actually, there's no excuse for a seven month break. <laughs> nice. Very but good. Luckily, we're a well, bit more regular now. Been- no, it's not. And uh, yeah, Ashley, I know the answer to this question, uh, but the listeners don't. What's what, What's been going on? Where have you been recently? Well, I had the joy of getting to visit some great people in Sweden last week, um, one of them being yourself, Chris. Um, oh, they sound great. So that was great. Yeah, I'd never been to Scandinavia <laughs> before at all. Um, never been to Sweden. Got like a little three-day jaunt to Denmark and Sweden, which was great. Um, what what did you think of the country? Yeah, to my husband's dismay, I came back and told him it was a cleaner version of Germany, um, which he was a little bit um, offended by because he is from Germany. Um, but I thought it was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I only saw a tiny bit, the most southern part, so no idea what it's like in the coldest depths um, in the yeah. north. But yeah, it was blue and it was crisp and it was clean um, and it was full of the sea air so anyone that wants to go out to Sweden to visit Mark and Chris do it yeah well thanks that's really helping our uh, tourism income in this country so yeah. I'm sure we'll have a huge influx of people visiting yeah. Sweden now um very much so and I mean we, we we had some good days together and it was talking uh, about the mm. podcast and Venture 12 as a whole and um yeah, what what are we? Where are we going? Um, what what needs freshening up? What needs being addressed? Um, what do you want to share any of that? Is there anything that we can share with the listeners? Some exciting stuff moving forwards. Yeah, I think we have some great questions. Really like forming out what the podcast's about. So you know, hopefully we can really um, filter that down to provide some great content um, and um, find some great people to interview. But um, 
I think some of the main stuff that we were talking about was how we can get to know all of you guys better and do good community together, explore some of the topics we're talking about um, with one another. So hopefully um, in the coming months, um, there'll be some opportunities for that, won't there? Maybe some book clubs to join in with or some, some discussion groups. Um, mm. So I think there's a bit of watch this space coming up um, because it'd just be great, wouldn't it, to get to know everyone that listens and um, hear their thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've not really known how to do kind of like engagement with listeners previously, and we've almost landed in kind of like commenting on social media, which we've realised isn't. I mean, it's not particularly helpful for anyone. So just looking at ways that we, we can kind of like that, grow this community. Yeah. I think we realised none of us use social media very much, right, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> we thought this is that ironic. Was, that was um, another problem. How are we engage there? Yeah. 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 Um, Oh, actually, that is one thing that we can mention, isn't it? We are looking yeah. to uh, increase our usage of social media, not for kind of like just getting people along to listen or getting clicks or anything, but actually to kind of like be involved in the community and make mm. people aware of some of these community spaces that Ashley was talking about through book clubs or discussion groups. And as Ashley has also said, none of us are particularly competent or passionate when it comes to social media. If we've got any listeners, yeah. any of you who love or not even love, just enjoy the podcast and uh, believe in what we're doing and are also a good social media user, then please get in contact with us. We're looking for someone to take over some of our social media stuff, not high demand or anything like that, but just to kind of keep things ticking over and, and be responsible for some of that communication-based um, work. So there you go. There's an yeah. open invite. Yeah. Big please, because none of us are any good at it. Yeah, please. we should probably give some way to contact us now. <laughs> this this shows, be good this shows idea, how good we it? are. We will put a way to contact us in the description. So yeah, look I, in there. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. We'll write it, but actually you can send an email as well um, to mark at venture12.se, which is the Sweden code, mark at venture12.se or comment on our Facebook posts or Instagram, which this is going to go out on if you just search for Venture 12 Podcast. Um, you good. can tell that we so, really remembered that we were meant to do that on this episode. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, I'm glad that we stumbled <laughs> into it, actually. Thanks, uh-huh. thanks, Holy Spirit. There we go. Um, um, yeah. What's going, what's going on? I mean, we, we also just want to kind of like mark what's going on in the world when we record these. So when we listen back in 10 years we can just kind of get a grasp of the context of mm-hmm. cultural situations um what's going on in well, you've spoken about sweden what's going on in england what's going on in sweden wasn't just me visiting i'm sure there's much more but you know i think no, that, that was would it. Be the head head of the news right now <laughs> yeah. um but in in the uk um in the uk i guess that um a lot of what you're seeing if you're scrolling through bbc is going to be um that the queen has died um mm couple of weeks ago now we just had the funeral um last week and um yeah i think it's taken a lot of the country um i think by surprise by how much people are impacted by that and um and the very long queues that are forming and have been around to um go and pay respects and then the funeral services that have happened and the various ways in which people are sort of engaging with that in their communities um so yeah that's quite a big big piece right now in our in our country actually i think that's a really special thing unique about the uk actually is that there are these moments where the whole country is feeling the same 
Uh, I mm. noticed it during the, during the Olympics in 2012. There was this. It was that was an uplifting feel, and uh, I used to work in volunteering, and that was the highest recruitment of volunteers ever during the Olympics. And people just kind of wanting to give. And then, obviously, during major sporting tournaments, when England do well, which is rare, there's also this feeling. And and this was another one that I noticed. Me living in Sweden, I'm obviously English, so the Queen dying was a big thing. But I just noticed when I was FaceTiming my family, there was almost like a different. Like I, I didn't have permission to joke uh, or like play around almost on, on FaceTime. It was a very, very like somber atmosphere uh, over, over FaceTime. So it's a unique thing about the UK. It was quite deserted, the streets, you know. The day of the yeah. funeral, I remember going for a walk because I have a one-year-old that was not going to stay at home and watch the TV. Yeah. And um, it was just quiet. Everyone was yeah. in, um, reflecting. And a friend of mine that I was walking with said, are we allowed to smile in the park? And I said, that's yeah, really nice. Interesting. Um, yeah. 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 Interesting. There is quite, anyway, so who are we looking at today? Who are we listening to, Chris? We're listening to, um, I, I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, and this is an interview with somebody called Jessie Crookshank. Um, and she is going to introduce herself as our guests usually do. So I won't do too much speaking for her. Um, but there'll be a focus today on... Uh, discipleship what does it look like and this really really unique perspective that Jessie brings um, in that she's a neuroscientist um, so looking at kind of some of like the um, central nervous system patterns and and how that's kind of this kind of like longing for discipleship is wired into each of us and that there's a path and a journey that we follow for that um, yeah so I won't say more than that for now uh, but have a listen to the interview uh, and stick around after the end of the interview where we will be posing some questions and reflecting on some stuff ourselves. Well, welcome back to the Venture 12 podcast. I am uh, very happy to be joined here by Jesse Crookshank. Welcome to yeah, good V12. Morning. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, good morning for you. Good afternoon for me. Jesse, I don't want to uh, speak for you. Uh, I've been reading a lot about you in the past couple of weeks um, through your website and a bit about you and really impressive resume. Uh, but I just wonder, our um, first question that we generally ask people is, can you just tell us a little bit about you, um, where you're from? from where you are now what your kind of background is in what your interests are what your church life looks like anything you feel is relevant for the listeners to to hear yeah I don't I mean that's always an interesting question because everybody's interested in a different part and I have a very varied I have a varied life um but I come from the middle of nowhere Wyoming in a tiny town um of about 3,000 people and the next nearest town was 68 miles and it had 100 people and the next nearest wow. town was 32 miles and it had uh like 120 people um and we would drive 60 miles to go to the grocery um one way so it, you know middle of nowhere um but what's interesting about being raised and growing up and and starting ministry in the middle of nowhere is that nobody can tell you what you can and can't do <laughs> you just get these you read the bible and you have some inspiration from the holy spirit and um you do things and then you enter into the rest of the world and it's uh they're very astounded at what you've done but yeah. you didn't know what wasn't possible because wow. there wasn't anybody telling you 
So I studied um, neuroscience and then applied that to discipleship in, as we built a wilderness ministry. So we would take people, young adults and adults, backpacking, technical rock climbing, technical snow mountaineering into the wilderness for up to 40 days and 40 nights as an immersion discipleship. And so we were applying neuroscience to that. I started doing that because I wanted, um, as a risk management endeavor, I wanted somebody to remember something once or to teach it once and have them remember it with high accuracy. And that was like, so they could tie into the rope or self-arrest with the ice axe. Um, but very quickly that became a discipleship conversation for me, because how do you have a conversation with someone once and their eternity changes? So applying neuroscience to discipleship and then how do we how did God create us so how did he create us to change and grow and develop um so in the last so I did that I did I led the wilderness ministry for about 13 years and then transitioned into denominational ministry little hiccup in between there where I was in the business world court doing corporate turnaround for an engineering firm but um ended up in denominational ministry for about eight years helping teach pastors and and train denominational leaders in uh, human transformation, organizational transformation. So now I do church consulting and kind of serve the body of Christ at large, but again, just in that transformational space. So there are easy ways and there are hard ways to do it. And I think if we uh, partner with how God made us, it's, it's actually quite effective and it doesn't take a lot and you don't have to be a ninja or a guru or a superstar. You could just be a normal person helping another person. So I don't know. I, my faith life is I attend a church. I don't lead a church because I do ministry all the time and I need a place to sit and relax and receive and just, um, be poured into. So, um, I serve in my church, preach several times a year, but, um, yeah, I just live it. I just live the, I live it every day and I enjoy sitting in the back in my church where no one knows who I am. I mean, they know who I am, but they don't know what I do. It's just a really uh, working class church. And I really enjoy that. Great. Well, I mean, already so much to unpack there. And we'll touch on some of it throughout the interview. But but I just want to comment uh, the combination of wilderness, neuroscience and discipleship must be a pretty niche market to get into. How did How did that come about? So I was raised rock climbing. My dad was a rock climber and a mountaineer. He's climbed Everest. He was a guide when he was in college. And so I, when I was five years old, he cut the seatbelt out of the back of the car and made me a, my first climbing harness. <laughs> and I started climbing when I was five years old. I did my first snow mountaineering with like multi-day roped up ice axe when I was seven. Um, and I had a, like an, I had a fall in that. So I was seven. I was really tiny. I don't know if you met in many seven-year-olds, but the idea that you're taking them out for multiple days and they have to like save their own life. I don't know how my dad did it, but I loved it. <laughs> and so I was a professional rock climber when I was 13, 14 and 15, wow. um, before I hit puberty, yeah. it was easier <laughs> to do. And then I went into, became a guy, becoming a guide, um, when I was in college and then, and then started the guiding school out of college. Um, again, the neuroscience was really more practical. It was a safety thing. Um, but I'd also been always called the ministry since I was young that, um, 
that wasn't, that's been an interesting journey just in and of itself to be called to ministry. feel like I was supposed to be a missionary since I was like three, four. I don't know. All I remember is that I was a very primary school. People would be like, Hey, everybody, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, I want to be a doctor and I want to run a drive a fire truck. And I'm like, I want to be a missionary in Indonesia. It's <laughs> <laughs> always a wow. precocious person. <laughs> yeah. And um, so the Lord brought them all together. I couldn't have, I couldn't have written that story. I'm not that creative. Uh, and I mean, I think it was really interesting as well. And like so much truth in what you were talking about in terms of, I know you were, you, uh, talking about being from the middle of nowhere and not knowing what you couldn't do, not knowing what the limits were. I mean, did that, uh, what kind of impact did that have in terms of like expressing your faith and mission through, through that? So that's a great question. I, I took a lot of neuroscience and was applying it to teaching and training, experiential education. Um, I was teaching other organizations then, you know, some of the stuff that we were learning. My dad has a PhD in adult education. So he and I together would read lots of things. And then he was a high school teacher in that middle of nowhere town. And um, we weren't in the same town at this point. We're like five hours apart. But um, he would apply it in his context. I'd apply it in my context. And we would talk and we would help each other grow. Because while we were climbing partners, when we were, when I was younger, then we were research partners when I was an adult. And I ended up drafting um, and writing the first biologically based model of how to facilitate transformation according to how the brain learns. And then I took that to Harvard and I got my grad work. I did my grad work at Harvard's um, graduate school of education. So I show up there and I've got this full fledged model that I've been teaching my staff for 10 years. And I'm like, Hey, you guys, I've just in the, I'm in the middle of nowhere. What do you guys think about this? What am I missing? What types of research have I, do I need to think about? And they were really shocked. And they were like, you're applying research to practice. And they're like, we're still debating that. And I'm like, what are you still debating that? Like, if you read something and you try it out and it changes the way you teach, then that's applying research to practice. But they were, um, they didn't fix it. I actually lectured at Harvard a few times on my model and published it academically. And um, people have been doing research with it for about uh, 2014, eight years now. Um, so it's impacted the field, it's impacted teaching and experiential education. But if I had known what I couldn't do, which was we have to debate applying research to practice mm. for a little while, like I wouldn't, we wouldn't have done it. But the Holy Spirit showed us and um, walked us through that. There's a very specific part that the Holy Spirit showed us because when my dad and I drafted it, I can't, I went back to him. I'm like, what's this one part? And he's like, I don't know. Did you make what I thought was yours? And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't write that. Where did that come from? So there's literally a, a divinely wow. inspired portion of it that neither of us can trace the origin to. Um, mm. But yeah, when no one, when there's no one to tell you that you're being, that you're so far out, um, yeah. the Holy Spirit can, can teach you whatever the Holy Spirit wants to. And yeah, it, yeah like I said, then it shocked the world. It shocked Harvard. Yeah. And that's a very strange thought that a Wyoming girl, which is really guys, the middle of nowhere, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. nothing out there. Like, yeah. In the movies, I mean, everyone dies in Wyoming. So uh, right, okay, that's a good that's a good reference point because uh, we're obviously I'm obviously English and we've got quite a European audience. So I'm just trying to think what the equivalent might be. But uh, 
Siberia, Mongolia. (laughs) All right, okay. (laughs) I was thinking a European context. (laughs) No offense to any Belgian (laughs) listeners. No, actually, I love Belgium. Everything about Belgium. I I could be a missionary there. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Great. Well, um, towards the end of your introduction, there, you said something really interesting as well. And I, I mean, I don't know how big of a question this is that I'm asking because I have no background in neuroscience um, or Harvard or anything. Um, but the, the kind of tagline for your uh, website is catalyzing discipleship through neuroscience, which is just like grabs the attention straight away. And then you also said something when you're introducing yourself about trying to find links to partner with what God has created. <laughs> and I mean, that make, it seems to make so much sense that God would instill in us uh, some kind of thing in our brain that would be drawn to discipleship or to partner with so I mean is there a way that you can develop some of that on an understandable level yeah yeah um so I love looking at what's universal about human and people um because we are so very very different and as a disciple maker that means I'd have to start everywhere and anywhere which means I don't know where to start it's too many options, too many places. So um, when I was working with thousands of students, I looked at what I started with, what was universal? What could I assume? What was my starting place? And um, one of the great places, things that are is universal about human nature and, and the way that people perceive their life and journey is um, this pattern called the hero's journey. And the hero's journey was defined by or written out in Uh, first architected by Joseph Campbell in the 1950s, but he had done research on the great stories of every civilization um, on the planet. So what what are these stories that shape them, that they tell each other? They're they're great myths. And myth myth doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that it's like epic and huge and inspiring. And he noticed that there was a pattern in these um, tales and that their hero went on the went through this pattern and it, and it happened with every story that they are just hanging out in their normal world and then they're called to an adventure and I actually refuse the adventure they're like no I don't want to do it and then things kind of escalate and they have to go on this journey and in, in this great quest and um, there's a series of challenges and friends that come along and mentors that come along and Um, eventually they come to this climax moment where something in the hero has to change. And so they were an ordinary person before, you know, the entire story, but something changes in them and they have to make a decision and and become different. And that then they become a hero. Then they're able to do the heroic act or the big thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And they get like a reward or a prize or like a girl or something. And (laughs) then they go back home like a Mm -hmm. wife. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But they go back home and the world that they go back to hasn't changed, but they have. Um, And this is called the hero's journey, the hero's arc. And this is in every culture on the planet. And and that's fascinating to me. So I started, you know, looking at that in the context of scripture and the biblical narrative and and you can see it there too, right? It's it's in Moses's life. It's in David's life. It's in Peter's life um, and Jesus's life as well, right? So he has his, you know, he he gets called, <laughs> he 
he enters into ministry, he has the disciples, he surrounds himself, he, and everything's building up towards, towards the cross, this great climax, um, where everything, you know, everything changes. And so I believe that that pattern is in our cultures and in our history and in our hearts so that we recognize the journey of discipleship because it is the journey of discipleship. It's the journey of connecting with God and going somewhere with people and being changed because discipleship isn't an information journey. It's a transformational journey. And it's not about what you know, but it's about your character and who you are and um, your identity. So, so it's a journey of identity and identity change and identity is held in the brain (laughs) very specifically in autobiographical memory. And so if I'm going to help disciple somebody, then I want their story and their identity um, to be what I'm, what I'm working with, what I'm training to, what I'm dealing with, not just the information that they have in their head. And so that's a very different paradigm of discipleship than we've had for maybe about the last 500 years um, because teaching, teaching just to the brain doesn't, doesn't change you actually. Um, it actually inoculates you from change because you think, you know, something, even though you can't live it out. But when you teach to identity and story and somebody, somebody's autobiographical memory, then they automatically live it out. They can't actually, it actually takes a lot of work to not live it out. So mm-hmm. those are the, that's kind of like the grounding, <laughs> I know it's super deep, but at the same time, narrative discipleship is highly effective while informational discipleship is extremely ineffective, if not, if not counter, um, counterproductive. Mm. So I wonder, uh, just so maybe, uh, me and the listeners could further some understanding around this. Um, you, you said that it's extremely different to kind of like the last 500 years, the understanding of discipleship, what would that look like? compared to what you've just said so that yeah that would look like an enlightenment um informed paradigm or or even a highly reformation informed paradigm where i'm gonna read the bible i'm gonna hear the word preached and it's all about um understanding in this very academic way understanding god understanding what it means to uh, be a christian in a very academic way so in the enlightenment they um they wanted to measure things like, like, like the part of the, the change that happened was it got rid of the middle ages and the gnomes and the sprites and the, mm. the magic that infused the world and replaced it with science. And I love science, but science is um, essentially measuring and looking at and defining nature instead of being enchanted by nature or enchanted by the mysteries of the world. And, and so instead of that, we're going to measure it and we're going to name it and we're going to know it. Um, so we created a science called theology where we read the Bible and we name and measure and describe and tell. And, and I do think that people should have some ability to do that. But what was lost in that was that enchantment, was that wonder, was that mystery. And the knowledge of man became the highest good and the highest measurement. So if I didn't measure it, if I can't measure it, it doesn't exist and things only to the, exist to the degree that I can define them and name them. Um, so that's what happens in the Enlightenment. And then that infuses our theology. And you have so many, you have the reform stream of theology. You have um, some other ones coming out of uh, Central Europe and Germany specifically. 
just that looked at that and said, okay, if I understand the Bible correctly, then I will have a correct faith and I will be a correct disciple and I will be a correct follower of Jesus. Um, and, f- and that was good coming out of the uh, dark ages, but it has its limits. And the limit is the human brain. The human brain does not know things very well. And it makes a lot of stuff up. Um, you have a whole part of your brain dedicated to making stuff up. Um, let me say that again, because I my thing charm- chimed, but you, you have a whole part of your brain dedicated to making stuff up because it, its value, its, its purpose is to create a coherent narrative. And so if I, if you have gaps in your story and you don't know why, or you don't know what motivated you, this part of your brain will make it up um, because it doesn't like holes in your story. It doesn't like holes or inconsistency. Um, So the enlightenment, when we leaned into a knowledge and understanding full force, we lost so much about um, how we were created by God to learn and change. And we made discipleship and academic school-like endeavor where if I know the right things and I have the opportunity to choose, then I'll be transformed. And so we think information and choice will lead to transformation, but it doesn't, mm. it, it doesn't lead to transformation information. Like, cause I mean, just think about anything bad you eat, you know, it's bad. <laughs> you have that information and yet you do it anyway. Right. Think about, you know, smoking, you know, if you smoke, you know, smoking is bad for you. And yet you do it anyway. So information and then the opportunity to make the choice doesn't change a person's life. Um, But rather what we're created for is that identity and belonging. Who are we? Who did God create us to be? What does God call us? And how does he change what we call ourselves to be more like what he calls us? So all of this, um, if you look back at scripture and Jesus is always renaming people and and calling people into things. And he's like, here's who you are. Here's who you are. Here's what the kingdom is. Here's what it means to belong to the kingdom. And that's how we're created to grow and transform. And it happens so much less effort. It happens with so much less, you know, like you don't have to sit there and will your way through it. You don't have to be like, Oh, don't eat the cookie. Oh, don't eat the cookie. You know, (laughs) um, you can just be different from the inside out. And, um, then you don't have to focus on yourself and your own righteousness. You can focus on loving and meeting other people. Well, so it's, yeah, that's very, very different paradigms of um, discipleship. Yeah. I think that's um, great. And actually on, um, you can maybe explain what this is after I say this word, but um, on, on the whoology session, I've done the first one. um, And Jesse, you can maybe explain what that is in a moment, but you talk about, um, it's not really about what you think about getting it right discipleship, but it's the act of turning and following. And I, when I listened to you say that, I was just thinking about the first disciples, how they kind of had minimal information about who this character was, but the, the act of them turning and following is what made them disciples compared to the ones who said, no, I need to go and bury my father or, or those kind of things. It was the, the action of the follow, where, which is where the discipleship began. Um, yeah. So, so whoology is uh, my, my ministry. I started, um, to just start to bring all of this discipleship stuff out into the rest of the world. Cause I've been training and using it for a couple of decades now, but I've never made it accessible, recorded it and, and have a book coming out next year on it. Um, but uh, in, in thinking about what makes a disciple, I don't think a disciple is someone who knows God. I think it's someone who allows 
um, and is changed by Jesus. So if I look at some of the scariest words for any saved person or any Christian, you know, in the Bible are, uh, hey, God, I did all these things, right? I cast out demons and um, I told everybody about you. And God's like, I don't know you. I think mm. you need to go. Okay, it's a bit more harsh than that, right? It's like, <laughs> yes. get away from yeah. me. It's, that was the PG It's really version. intense, yeah. right? It's really <laughs> intense. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what does that, what does that even mean? And, but again, their identity, I don't know you. Who are you? Um, and so if I want God to know me, then I need to be open to that, which means I need to be willing to be changed by that. So my definition of a disciple is someone who is changed by Jesus. And then a disciple maker is someone who in a spirit led way helps another person be changed by Jesus too. So it's the act of change, metanoia, to be more specific, um, to, to turn transformation, not, not information. Cause yeah. the way also this other thing is so like to just kind of audio bomb the audience. My mother was a witch before she was a Christian. And wow. she taught me a bit about like the paradigm there. And the thing that I could never get over as a kid was that the, the demonic knows Jesus, like the demonic knows, uh, knows the, actually that has a better theology than we have. Right. Cause he, cause actually was there and knows <laughs> how the story goes. And so as pure and as correct as we think our theology is, the demonic's always been more correct. And so what, what does that get that? What does that get the enemy? It, nothing right it doesn't save them so there's a closeness to god and being known to know god and be known by god and to be changed by that um that's what that's what distinguishes a disciple for me um okay so if we're thinking about uh, the hero's journey and you were talking about it as myth this epic story if we drag that into kind of like take away the goblins and the ogres and the ring i'm thinking of one very specific hero's journey here um sure, sure. yeah but, uh, but um if we kind of drag that into what our life looks like into our communities uh, into our cities into our neighborhoods uh where where do these kind of hero's journeys begin where does discipleship start how do disciple makers kind of begin a journey uh, alongside mm -hmm. someone to help bring about transformation so if i'm thinking about it from the disciple makers point of view to me the the great call to that adventure is to be a disciple maker it's it's hey god wants to use you god believes in you and there's purpose that heaven has purpose for you to accomplish. Um, I mean, that's something to wrestle with just in and of itself. Cause we usually think like, Oh no, that's somebody else. Or it's not me. Or, you know, the, the enemy in our, uh, has been working a long time to disqualify us from that. So it's kind of a big deal to think about, Oh, my, my past isn't a problem. Oh, I don't have to know everything. Um, I don't have to be, I don't have to have it all together. I don't have to be a master Christian, guru Christian, <laughs> superstar Christian in order to, to make an, a disciple, like actually heaven can use me just as I am right now with all my strengths and weaknesses and my personality type, right? Cause all of our personality, we, I don't know, for whatever reason, we think a disciple maker has a certain personality. They're extroverted. They're very mm. knowledgeable, you know, they're probably good looking and wear fancy shoes or sneakers or something. Right. So 
<laughs> like, <laughs> like we have this picture yeah. of a hero disciple maker in our head and it's, it's you know what it's just not us right whatever that yeah. looks like it's just not us um and so the call is hey no that's wrong it is you it is you right now um and so when we answer that then the next step is okay well where am i going what am i doing <laughs> And I believe in um, this paradigm of having people of peace where you're, where you are yourself, your most authentic self. And there are people that are going to be attracted to that. There are people that will listen to your voice and follow you and think that you have really cool things to say, and they like to hang out with you. Um, So, so when we just live our life ourselves and, and we notice that there are people who respond to our voice um, I think then you can start asking the Holy Spirit, what would you want me to say? If, if, if my voice is good news to them, if the way that I talk and the way that I think about stuff um, lands well with them and they're receptive to that, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? Holy Spirit, what are you doing? So, so then it becomes a dialogue for me with the Holy Spirit on how do I, how do I be a mouthpiece? How do I um, water what God is already doing? See what God is already doing in their life and encourage that. Um, and like I said, just water that. So I think you can do that in a, in a kind of, a, an informal way with people in your life. I don't think you have to have a formal discipleship, um, dynamic and you can just be something of encouragement and pointing them towards God and being like, yeah, that, that thing that you're pursuing in your life, I think that's really good. You should do that. Or, Hey, you know, that's really interesting that you, um, are wanting to go that direction. Have you, are you sure that that's the right thing that for you to do? And you can kind of do it in this, this low key kind of way. And I think that's highly valuable. I think God uses that a lot, um, in the lives of, um, people who aren't sure about the voice of God in their own life yet. Mm-hmm. But then with people who maybe are, I think you can have a little more formal dynamic and be like, okay, then let's just talk regularly. Let's go out for coffee regularly. Um, and you can become more of a formal disciple maker. So the hero's journey, then when you realize that you've answered your call as a disciple maker is to realize that they're on our hero's journey and your job is to be a mentor and to come alongside them. So coming alongside them and helping them hear from God, coming alongside them and being encouragement when they walk through hard stuff. Um, I call that uh, embracing the suck. <laughs> so embracing if the things suck. are going to change. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of. I think we've just found. I think we've just found our title for this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because change is hard and mm. it hurts and it's disorienting, and so the reason I think we have to be discipled by another person and we can't just like read the Bible and know it is because it takes another person to help us go where we haven't gone, and and so that you need another person to be with you when you go through the hard thing to help encourage you and to remind you why you're doing this so you, that you don't quit. Right. I mean, I think, you know, that's why you have a friend, you know, you need a, accountability when you diet or you need accountability when you exercise and you're trying to make life changes is because you need help to do it. Mm-hmm. And discipleship is the exact same way we need help. And so as a disciple maker, my job is to help them and encourage them while they make hard choices to, to be changed and to let Jesus change them and then celebrate on the other side. Because if what friends are for are like throwing the party that you made it through and you're like, wow, you really did this. <laughs> you really made it. So you're helping another person on their hero's journey by embracing your own as a mentor and a guide 
um, and not the superstar, just the friend. Yeah. Well, there's a, a few things that I want to pick up on from what you've just said. I don't really know where to start, but I, I think here, right at the end there, when you're talking about embracing the suck, because that's the thing that's stuck in my head for now. Um, in, in the uh, whoology session, uh, in the first one, um, you talk about how that discipleship is often ignited by the low points on this hero's journey. Uh, what why is that yeah. is there some link to that with neuroscience or something why is it in these low points that we find ourselves kind of ignited in these times yeah so that I, one of the questions I was asking God in the last few years is why do why does it have to be so painful to change like why can't we just choose and clap our hands and click our heels and and now we're better and now we're better people and different you know why does it take especially after 2020 i'm like why does it take such um disruption in order to be different why is that part of his good and perfect will like um and what neuroscience teaches us is that it takes a degree of failure in order to be open to change, because when you're, when every, when you don't think that you need change and don't think you don't, you need change unless there's pain, pain signals that we're doing something wrong or disruption or uncomfortableness. It doesn't have to just be physical pain. It can be emotional pain. And then your brain's like, Oh wait, I don't like this. Maybe there's something I don't know. Maybe there's something to be learned. And so it takes discomfort to be humble enough for your brain to be interested because it's about efficiency. And, and if there's not discomfort, then it's like, I'm good. I'm good enough. Um, and so disruption, emotional, physical pain says in, and starts this process in your brain that allows for neural growth. You actually don't have neural growth without it. And it takes about 20% failure rate is the optimal space for the right hormones in your brain for neural growth. And you're like, I'm like 20% failure. I mean, look, I went to Harvard, 20% is a B minus, like 20% failure is a B minus. And I'm like, that sounds awful. Um, so I want to, I want to be teachable before that, but apparently I'm not. So we need that much discomfort and disruption in order to be aware that we need to, to learn or grow or, or something needs to be different. But then after that, like we have the initial failure, then we need help. Then we need support. So once we've had that aha moment that we need to learn or grow, then we need comfort in order to do it. Otherwise we'll just completely shut down and we'll be like, I don't know, we'll go into survival place and our, and we won't be in a place where we can learn, um, in the, in the brain. So we'll just go into survival adrenaline will or click in and we're like, okay, we'll just, I'm going to cut out of this situation. So when we have that aha moment that we have disruption and we need to learn something, we're doing something wrong, something's uncomfortable, then we'll look to other people to help us know what we're missing. And so that's why we need to go through it as a um, we'll need to go through it as a, as a, with other people. So, so discipleship is a community assignment. It's a community endeavor. It's not a private thing. Um, so we'll, because we look to other people to help us know what we don't know. And, and we do that, um, through mirroring in the brain, but so there's the sense of failure, then the sense of support from the people around us. And that helps us actually grow and change in the right way. So we need that mentor. We need that coach. We need that guide to show us how to do something better. So the, the suck part is that it's, your brain is actually unwiring certain neural connections are 
unforming to form new new ones and more than physically disruptive that's emotionally disruptive because it puts us in this space where we don't know and it, it makes us vulnerable and it makes us exposed um so that's why we need other people to walk us through the suck yeah. I mean, and I to be our friends in that places but it bonds us to one another in a deeper way right Mm -hmm. so if we don't do that let's say we go through it by ourselves then our idea of our our identity won't change even if we learn a new skill our identity doesn't change and we're not connected more deeply like we're actually more insulated in the two of ourselves we're like well i don't actually need other people and so if I think about the community of heaven and the community of heaven, I'm known even, I know even as I'm known, right? It's this great, amazing community of being known deeply, so deeply that we don't even have to get married. I don't even know what that means. But the journey of faith is to actually bond us in deep ways to one another. And so God uses the crucible, the valley of the shadow of death and and these um, challenging spaces to both create us to who we're supposed to be. And that involves deep connection with other people as well. So we're supposed to do it together. Mm. And he says that that's actually his good and perfect will. And I'm like, yeah. okay, show me how it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just really uh, important stuff, I think. And even for kind of the term you're using disciple makers to be aware, like for their, for our, for our or their own sense of like, success or failure to expect the kind of the lowness not to kind of put the pressure on the self that everything is dependent on you as a disciple maker that everything's going to be smooth the entire time right actually if it is then you're not doing your job Mm. whatever that job is either you're talking the person out of the challenges that god is trying to walk them through um Mm. or you don't have enough connection that they're sharing that with you so you know the it, it, it takes some, it takes a person to be pretty emotionally healthy to help somebody else walk through a hard thing and not save them and not leave them. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're walking through it with them without trying to rescue them. And um, that's for a disciple maker that that causes us to be a better disciple. Cause I, sometimes I want to save the person and sometimes I want to slap them in the face. And I'm like, what are <laughs> you doing? We've talked about this. Why do you keep making a bad choice? But it's in that moment that I am a disciple of Jesus because I'm trying to grow in trusting God more, that God is good and there's a, and the Holy Spirit's leading in the right way and that God's big enough to help them make better choices. So that has to grow. My faith has to grow even as I'm discipling and, and it doesn't grow otherwise. I don't know for whatever reason. Um, only when I'm other people in my re- is my character revealed. It's so they reveal where I don't trust God or where yeah. I try to step in or control or, or run away, depending upon the day. <laughs> um, and you also just said uh, about leaving. I mean, mm. one question I've been thinking about is in discipleship kind of relationships, whether that's like you were talking very organic or a bit more formal. I mean, is there an end point? Is it kind of like at the conversion or the baptism or is it yeah. um, when you then kind of commission them to go and make disciples of their own or, or, or is there kind of like, does it come to an end somewhere? Yes. It's the last um, session of the um, online course. And it's the last chapter of the book It's called discerning the seasons because there absolutely are the seasons. Um, just, yes. Seasons of 
of discipleship, seasons of relationship. If 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 we think about the hero's journey and the story arc, then there there is a lesson that heaven wants somebody to learn. And as a disciple maker, I'm helping the disciple what identify what that is. You know, what's the distraction? What's the lesson? What is God trying to do? What does God want me to lay down? What is God, you know, changing in me? And when you and when the person makes it through that, I think it's really important to stop and celebrate that. I think it's really important to mark that because um, they just did a hard thing. They just did a scary thing. And if we just move and blow right past the celebration, we've missed a really important part of the story, which is, hey, I once was this, but now I am this. You know, I once got really angry um, anytime, you know, somebody ignored me when they walked in the room, but now God has done this thing in my heart and my life. And you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. If people don't see me or notice me or pay attention to me the way that I deserve to be. And that's a big deal. Um, And when we don't mark those, then we, we can't actually track the change that has happened in our life and our growth. And we, our testimony is incomplete, but when we can create, when we can name that and we're like, okay, here's the thing that happened in me that's what we get to take into our, to being a disciple maker. So in a disciple maker, I'm helping teach people the thing that got the heaven has taught me. What has heaven done in my life? What is my testimony? What is the identity change happened for me? And I think that's what we share with one another. But if we don't mark the ending, we don't actually capture those stories in it. And we don't celebrate what God has done. So then there, I think there are three ways that a disciple making um, relationship ends. Either the person um, leaves you because they're like, you know what? This is too hard. I can't do it. You're, I don't like you. It's your fault. I mean, there's usually mm-hmm. some blame shifting that happens there. You just kind of have to embrace that they'll make you the enemy um, for a moment as they reject the change that God's trying to do. So they'll leave you. Sometimes you'll spin the wheels enough that heaven will let you release you from being the disciple maker in that relationship. But you got to you got to let heaven release you. You can't just give up on them because you never know. Only heaven knows when they're like, okay, you know what? We tried here in the, in the person, the person chose not to go through the change. Um, and so I'm going to move them into, you know, to be in a different space. So heaven will release you. And then the third one is what I call like graduation. And that is, we did it. We walked through, we learned the lesson and celebrating. And then after that, when it ends well, which is about 50% of the time, which I know may sound like low, but I also think it's really high that, mm. that people can experience deep change that consistently. Um, then the question is, what kind of relationship do you have with the person on the other side? So you can be friends, you can go through a new season, there can be a new lesson to learn. Um, uh, for people that I've walked for multiple years through many lessons with, um, it's slowly changed from being a mentor-mentee relationship to more of a friend-friend relationship. Mm. Um, and we're more brother and sister than spiritual mother and father, you know, spiritual mother and child. Um, so yeah. So you get to discern anew what kind of dynamic the Lord wants you to have with that person. But I think that they're always your friend. You're always, you're always close in a way that can't be done, even if you're not close physically or even talk that much afterwards. So there are seasons um, and lessons from heaven to walk through. So they're just a chapter in a book or they're a book in a trilogy. And um, 
you know, the person has changed, but the rest of their, their, uh, situation hasn't. And that always sets up the sequel. So the question is just whether you as a disciple maker are in their sequel or not. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's really helpful to put some words on it because I think one of the stresses maybe in terms of beginning a journey like this with somebody and maybe going through some of the tough times is like and sometimes be what, what happens where does this go or um is, is this going to create some kind of dependency or something so I think it's really helpful to just put some words on it and those three that you've just framed there will be really really helpful yeah. I mean you're always raising them to you're always setting them up to be without you I mean, you yeah, should always do that. You shouldn't exactly. make them dependent upon you. That's something else. And that's a little weird. Um, mm. And and you're not marrying them. Like, it's not a forever thing. Like, mm. you don't have to think about it like that. In fact, if, if both of you are leaning fully into it, it's usually about a three-year arc. It's usually about 18, 12 to 18 months to finally, to get down to the root of what God was wanting to change deep in their heart. And then 12 to 18 months for that change to happen and that new identity to solidify that they can be like, that they can, that they can know who they are when they're not with you. Um, and, and for that change to ripple through their life. So it's a, so full on in everybody, everybody playing, nobody hedging. Um, a three-year arc is a, a pretty consistent um, dynamic. Yeah. And then, and then there, and then ideally, like something core in their life has changed and God wants to use them. He changes the season for them and they, they move. He has new people that he wants to send them to. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, um, last couple of questions now, I'm just keeping an eye on the time. Um, one of them going back to something you were talking about earlier, um, you were describing perhaps kind of like a, a typical, uh, church leader charismatic extrovert um on the stage a lot a lot of experience maybe leading a mega church for many years or something or an established church what is the role of that person uh, if they're listening to this now what what do they need to do in order to be humble or get out of the way and what's the journey there in order to activate the rest of the body it's a great question um and the question the conversation I love to have the most, um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know what the stats would be in the U in, in Europe, but in America, um, in the United States, when you survey pastors and ask them how many of them have been discipled by a living person face to face, mm. <laughs> which was what it would take to have, you know, somebody help you be changed by Jesus in a deep mm. way and walk you through the suck. Um, the number, the percentages average about 10 to 15% of pastors have been discipled relationally. Um, so that's here. I, I don't know what it would be in, in Europe, but that just means that there's a lot of people who are accountable to God for discipleship, but have never been discipled. So they don't know how to train or release anybody else to be a disciple maker either because they don't, they don't know. Um, and so when I think about the, the senior, the, you know, the pastor, the ministry leader of a group of people, the first question is, are you, are you being discipled? Are you being discipled relationally, you know, face to face by someone who has permission to speak into your life and, and help you hold, hold you uh, accountable in a loving and kind way to the change that God's trying to do in you um, and to start there and, and, and experience that so that you know what that feels like and that discomfort. So then you can help coach other people on what it's like to go through that process. 
so, so one to be a disciple, then two is to have two or three people. Um, I really think the max we can disciple life on life in that full immersion way is about five. Um, I stick with two or three just because I also have job <laughs> and, and a family and everything. So, so find one or two people and start, you know, walking that journey with them as a relational disciple maker so that you can experience that. And then you know how to help understand the the pitfalls and the challenges and, and what's, what's difficult, but not a sign of failure or what's difficult, but doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Um, and, and that sort of thing. So, and then I think from the, from the position of like a church leader, just let's say you're, you're a disciple and you know how to make disciples. You're, you're kind of actively doing that. I think the role of that inspirational person in a larger gathering is to inspire and encourage people to be discipling one another. I think a healthy discipleship community, people are doing that to one another and with one another. And, and um, I was, I was mentored in this really amazing community of about two or 300 people in a small town in the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, and people took responsibility for discipleship. So the pastor didn't come to and talk to me and say, Hey, is someone discipling you? Just one of the other women in the congregation was like, Hey, you're new here. You know, are you interested in having a discipleship relationship with someone? And then like this group of, of like 15 ladies looked at their lives and the schedules and who found me interesting to hang out with. And uh, yeah. And one of them picked me like, one of them was like, I'll take a, you know, take her on. And and so someone took responsibility, like actually a whole group of people took responsibility for me to just meet with me and love with me, love on me. And then when that person didn't have wisdom for something I went through, they connected me with one of the other people in the, in this faith community. So that everyone shared the job of discipling everyone. And, you know, nobody, nobody talked about things they didn't know. There was just someone else in the community who was who had experience with that or had revelation around that. And, and so we just kind of did it all together. It's like I said, two or 300 people. So the job of the senior leader in that was to set that culture, to encourage that culture, to not get in the way of that culture and to kind of make sure and, and make sure it was healthy in a healthy way. So that required um, them not needing to control it, but to trust that the elders in the community were doing a good job and to trust um that the people were uh, behaving be behaving well, and then and then the senior leader's job, you know, ministry leader's job is always to clean up the messes, like because yeah. that's mostly what they do, right? Yeah. It's mostly what we do. We're just, <laughs> yeah. and you just take that on, and you know that that's the job. When it's working well, somebody else is doing it, and when it's not going well, you're helping clean it up. That's right, and yeah. that is what it is. Yeah, that is what it is. That's a, I think that's a beautiful picture of, a, I, think, I think it's an African proverb, isn't it? Uh, takes a village to raise a child. It sounds like you kind of had that uh, experience in a, in a spiritual community as well. It actually kind of answers the final question I was going to ask, which was going to be, um, you've already spoken about kind of like, it's not an individual thing, discipleship. Um, but once you kind of enter into one of these discipleship relationships with someone else, what's the role of the rest of your church or faith-based community around that? But perhaps you've, just answered that but is there anything else that you'd like to add yeah I just I, I know that we're we're a herd species we're made to learn through relationship much more than through information and so you know if it's just information then we can get on google or we could get on the internet and we can 
we can search it, right? We can read it in a book somewhere. Um, mm. But that's that's not what changes us. So we need we need the relationships. We need a diversity of relationships. We need to be with people who know things that we don't in all kinds of amazing ways and just um, let them help shape us. So I think the rest of the, it's just, we're a herd of sheepies. We're a herd of sheepies going through the valley of the shadow of death to go up to, you know, that, that new table and that new place. And we do it together. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think we're just, we're a bunch of friends with lots of different experiences and gifts and talents and strengths and weaknesses that all complement each other and sometimes create friction. And that's also part of the process, right? How do we live with one another when we don't agree? Um, that makes us a disciple yeah. <laughs> doing that together. So yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a beautiful thing to be a community that helps each other be changed by Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great place to finish. Uh, I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It's been, yeah. it's been good. I just, I just want us to, I don't know, be more of who Jesus uh, wants us to be in ways that aren't as hard as we make them. That's <laughs> yeah. my heart. <laughs> That's great. That's a great mission to go for. Um, well, uh, listeners, stick around um, for the uh, reflection with me and Ashley, and we'll put some questions out to you and the people that you're listening with. Um, and until next time, uh, be blessed and we'll speak to you soon. Welcome back, everybody. Wasn't that such a great episode? Um, Chris, what was it like to interview Jessie? She seemed great. Yeah. Do you know what? I? Uh, and this goes against everything she was saying, because she was saying about we're all, like, you don't have to be highly educated or anything like that to be, uh, like, on this discipleship journey. But I, I do have to admit that pre-recording the podcast I did have some nerves because I, I I don't know Jesse uh who's actually uh, someone else who set this interview up uh, and I was like what you want me to interview a Harvard graduate neuroscientist who's also a professor and like it's like what what are you doing to me so so I, yeah. I did have some anxiety but as you heard she was absolutely wonderful both in her personality but also just in kind of how she answered the questions and took you almost on a journey through her answers um so I was just found myself kind of like having to really think, oh, right, what's my next question? Because I was so swept up in what her answers were. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it was it was great. I really, really enjoyed enjoyed it actually that time with her. Yeah, she didn't seem so intimidating as you maybe might have thought if you read her profile um, or a quick blog about her. Well, um, we're flipping things around a little bit um, for this season, and rather than um, ask you guys some questions that you can ponder at the end we thought it'd be better to give you guys some questions at the start um, let you kind of reflect on those a little bit for yourself in a short pause um, before we jump into reflecting on them together um, as the hosts uh, we just thought this might be better so you guys aren't just filled with all our ideas before you get to do some of your own reflection um, so we've got a couple of questions um, here for you guys today we're going to pause for um, a few seconds and then we're going to jump in to discussing them together so you will find more questions in the um, description, but these are the two that we're going to focus on for right now. So firstly, how has this been good news for you or for other people? And 
what, um, in what way can you use what you've heard today to equip or to resource others? So let's just think about those two questions. And we're back in the room. Hopefully you enjoyed that time there just to reflect and uh, process some of those questions in your head. We were actually contemplating whether it was going to be a forced pause, didn't we? Or, or whether we were going to ask the listeners to pause themselves. But we've we've ended up forcing you, so do forgive us for that. Um, yeah. But just to uh, develop then on some of those questions. Uh, and Ashley, I'm going to ask you, uh, how was this episode good news for you or for others? Yeah, I think I probably reflected the most on how it's good news for me, but I guess most of that probably could be flipped around and applied to, to anyone else. Um, and I think that as I was listening to Jesse, there's just this sense of a lot of the um, previous pressure that you can put on yourself um, in terms of discipleship and leadership she was just lifting a lot of it, wasn't she? It was just good news in that um, for me, there was a sense of, yeah, freedom in engaging in those discipleship relationships um, in not in not feeling like I have to have a bunch of information or a bunch of knowledge and not feeling like I've got to um, help somebody else have a bunch of information or a bunch of knowledge, but to know that we're just journeying alongside each other in our identities. Um, and I think that, that's just much more simple. Um, I think also, I don't know about you, Chris, but um, longevity is an issue for me. Um, so sometimes I want things to happen quickly and, um, and they don't always. And um, I think it's really encouraging and it's really good news, while also a challenge to me, to know that I shouldn't expect, um, you know, to, to journey with somebody and to see change come about really fast because three years was what she mentioned didn't she mm. um have you journeyed with many people for three years it's uh, quite a long time isn't it yeah really? yeah so, certainly a couple but it's not it's not I wouldn't say that it's like the natural um cycle of human relationships they're often a bit like you say a bit bit quicker and a bit kind of like those kind of intentional things especially a kind of all right let's put a six 12 month time limit on this thing yeah so it's more of a I commitment. also think she, uh, like I don't know about, about you but she reminded me a little bit of what it must have been like to be like um kind of like early old testament don't have all of the maybe um scriptures to read on like what is right and what is holy and what's good and how to do stuff or all the many missional books out there that tell you how to do things because she says that like no one told her what she couldn't do hmm so she's just got on with it. I think that's yeah. such good news. Like, you know, that 
when we are freed of all of that, if we can maybe like remove some of the, um, you know, heroic stories we hear or the processes that are put on us, things that can kind of bind us back or cause us to freeze in fear and not move forwards, that actually some great stuff can come out of it. Um, yeah. I yeah, love that, that phrase. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that bit up as well. It's my favourite part of the whole interview, actually, just her story, her own mm. personal story of like her growing up. Uh, and mm. it just made me think how many of our limitations on ourselves are learned mm. like she had none of these things placed on her and without those she just kind of exploded and there wasn't these these barriers or boundaries that were holding her down or saying no you can't do that because you are this or anything like that. I just absolutely yeah. loved that real life example of seeing that, that just kind of like that, un, that I wonder how much unfulfilled potential there is in the world when it comes to mission and kingdom building and ministry um, because we've heard so much about our boundaries and limitations yeah for sure for sure she was yeah pretty pretty fearless and um brave <laughs> and yeah. also climbing you know like mountains in a seatbelt harness at five years old yeah but Crazy. come on actually we've all we've all done that <laughs> oh yeah sure so <laughs> how about you chris what do what do you think when you think about ways in which what you've heard today can help you equip or resource other people what do mm. you think good question um I think, I mean, there's two ways to answer this. There's a real practical way. Uh, and this is a little kind of like um, signposting towards some of Jesse's stuff uh, which, through the whoology, which is the word you'll have heard both me and Jesse talk about during the interview. Um, but this is an eight week course that helps people kind of like go on their own discipleship journey and figure out what discipleship is and see what it might mean for you. Uh, so that's a course I'd recommend. I've done the first session, um, but we'll certainly be looking at doing the rest. And that's to be followed by a book as well coming out. I think it was in the new year. So that's maybe something good to get your hands on if you're in some kind of um, leadership or, uh, yeah, re relationships. If you're having some of these relationships where you're helping people in their discipleship journeys, then get your hands on that. Um, but in terms of the actual content and answers she gave, um, something that really stuck with me was kind of like towards the middle of the podcast. And she was talking around about this thing, narrative discipleship, uh, rather than kind of the opposite of that, which is like this information overload level of discipleship. And, and that's the difference between getting all the theory and the knowledge about what it is. And that's what she was saying we've been doing for many, many years. But actually the narrative discipleship is uh, helping someone find their place in that story. Um, so she used a phrase which I loved, which was uh, teach to the story, not to the knowledge or the information. Don't teach to those places in somebody, but teach to the story. So if, you, if you're talking about discipleship and what it is, then just try and help someone come along and see where they fit into it. Where does my story fit into this? What do I look like in this piece of the puzzle? Rather than having like you were just talking about as well, the list of this is what discipleship is. This is what it isn't. Um, mm. Again, I guess it's I guess I guess it's about breaking down barriers again, um, taking down those boundaries and making it accessible to everyone, which is basically what Jesse's talking about the whole time. But um, yeah, it's it's that process, I guess, of the incarnational moving something from a page into action. Um, mm. Yeah, the, the word became flesh. So, what does that look like for our own personal narrative discipleship journeys? Uh, so, I'll certainly Quite different. be. Sorry. Just ask, is, it, is it quite different from um, 
from the way you've done discipleship or what you've heard before? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, actually, but it's certainly something that I will be more aware of. I think there'll, there'll be certainly an intentionality. It could be that that's been the way I've been discipling before, or it might not be. But I know that moving mm. forward, there will now be an intentionality to disciple like that, uh, to, to yeah. ask more questions about the story and the and the the individual and trying to find a place rather than just kind of, yeah, talking theoretically. I want to I want to be. Mm allergic to doing that really yeah yeah good reflections i hope that um you know you guys have got all your own great thoughts mm. and uh, like ashley said too. there's there's a few more questions in the description that you can cling on to that we've uh, put together for this episode um but what what, wanna... um, what podcast next chris what's coming our way uh yeah next we've actually got an interview that mark has done with brad briscoe um, which is exciting um, and it's kind of like we're not entirely sure of the theme because Mark was describing it as kind of like a bit all over the place but in a really creative and inspiring way so there, there's certainly aspects of APEST and the fivefold ministry giftings in there and then there's also stuff about um, bivocational ministry uh, and um, yeah where we're kind of like the, the church is heading and and some of those kind of questions. So uh, that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Um, then we've got other guests lined up for the for the rest of the season, which we'll give you more information about. But um, have we got anything to announce or anything to leave yeah. the listeners with? Well, I think just reminding you guys, keep looking out and seeing if there's any ways that you can engage with us and um, we can do community together. Hopefully some of that stuff will be coming our way. And um, please, please, if you have any social media gifts, and you feel like um, getting involved, let us know because we could really do with your help. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think those are our thoughts. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, once again. Uh, glad to be back with season three and looking forward to the season ahead that we've got. Uh, take care and God bless.